Chapter 24 of The World's Famous Orations, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Thomas Bosk. The World's Famous Orations, Volume 1 by Various. Iskines Against Stesiphon or On the Crown, Part 1. Footnote. Delivered in Athens, 330 B.C. Translated by Thomas Leland. Abridged. End of footnote. Born in 389 B.C. Died in 314. Served in several military campaigns. Twice an envoy to Philip of Macedon. Long the political antagonist of Demosthenes. After his defeat by Demosthenes in the trial of Stesiphon, went into exile. You see, Athenians, what forces are prepared, what numbers formed and arrayed, what soliciting through the assembly by a certain party, and all this to oppose the fair and ordinary course of justice in the state. As to me, I stand here in firm reliance, first on the immortal gods, Next, on the laws and you, convinced that faction never can have greater weight with you than law and justice. It were to be wished, indeed, that the presidents of our Senate and of our popular assembly would attend with due care to the order of their debates, that the laws ordained by Salon to secure the decency of public speaking might still preserve their force, that so our elder citizens might first arise in due and decent form as these laws direct, without tumult or confusion, and each declare in order the salutary counsels of his sage experience, that after these our other citizens who chose to speak might severally and in order, according to their ages, propose their sentiments on every subject. Thus, in my opinion, would the course of government be more exactly regulated and thus would our assemblies be less frequently engaged in trials. But now, when these institutions, so confessedly excellent, have lost their force, when men propose illegal resolutions without reserve or scruple, when others are found to put them to the vote, not regularly chosen to preside in our assemblies, but men who have raised themselves to this dignity by intrigue, when, if any of the other senators on whom the lot of presidency hath fairly fallen should discharge his office faithfully, and report your voices truly, there are men who threaten to impeach him, men who invade our rights, and regard the administration as their private property, who have secured their vassals, and raised themselves to sovereignty, who have suppressed such judicial procedures as are founded on established laws, and in the decision of those appointed by temporary decrees, consult their passions. Now I say, that most sage and virtuous proclamation is no longer heard. Who is disposed to speak of those above fifty years old? And then, who of the other citizens in their turns? Nor is the indecent license of our speakers any longer restrained by our laws, by our magistrates. No, nor by the presiding tribe which contains a full tenth part of the community. As to the general nature of this prosecution, thus far I have promised, and I trust, without offense. 
Let me now request your attention to a few words about the laws relative to persons accountable to the public, which have been violated by the decree proposed by Stesiphon. In former times there were found magistrates of the most distinguished rank, and entrusted with the management of our revenues, who in their several stations were guilty of the basest corruption, but who, by forming an interest with the speakers in the Senate, and in the popular assembly, anticipated their accounts by public honors and declarations of applause. Thus, when their conduct came to a formal examination, their accusers were involved in great perplexity, their judges in still greater. For many of the persons thus subject to examination, though convicted on the clearest evidence of having defrauded the public, were yet suffered to escape from justice, and no wonder. The judges were ashamed that the same man, in the same city, possibly in the same year, should be publicly honored in our festivals, that proclamation should be made, that the people had conferred a golden crown on him, on account of his integrity and virtue. That the same man, I say, in a short time after, when his conduct had been brought to an examination, should depart from the tribunal condemned of fraud. In their sentence, therefore, the judges were necessarily obliged to attend not to the nature of those offenses, but to the reputation of the state. Some of our magistrates, observing this, framed a law, and its excellence is undeniable, expressly forbidding any man to be honored with a crown whose conduct had not yet been submitted to the legal examination. But notwithstanding all the precaution of the framers of this law, pretenses were still found of force sufficient to defeat its intention. Of these you are to be informed, lest you should be unwarily betrayed into error. Some of those who, in defiance of the laws, have moved that men who yet stood accountable for their conduct should be crowned are still influenced by some degree of decency, if this can with propriety be said of men who purpose resolutions directly subversive of the laws they still seek to cast a kind of veil on their shame. Hence are they sometimes careful to express their resolutions in this manner, that the man whose conduct is not yet submitted to examination shall be honored with a crown when his accounts have first been examined and approved. But this is no less injurious to the state, for by these crowns and public honors is his conduct prejudiced and his examination anticipated while the author of such resolutions demonstrates to his hearers that his proposal is a violation of the laws and that he is ashamed of his offense. But Stesiphon, my countryman, hath at once broken through the laws relative to the examination of our magistrates. He hath scorned to recur to that subterfuge now explained. He hath moved you to confer a crown on Demosthenes previously to any examination of his conduct at the very time while he was yet employed in the discharge of his magistracy. But there is another evasion of a different kind to which they are to recur. These offices, say they, to which a citizen is elected by an occasional decree, are by no means to be accounted magistracies, but commissions or agencies. Those alone are magistrates whom the proper officers appoint by lot in the temple of Theseus or the people elect by suffrage in their ordinary assemblies, such as generals of the army, commanders of the cavalry, and such like. All others are but commissioners who are but to execute a particular decree. To this their plea, 
I shall oppose your own law, a law enacted from a firm conviction that it must at once put an end to all such evasions. In this it is expressly declared that all offices whatever appointed by the voices of the people shall be accounted magistracies. In one general term, the author of this law has included all. All has he declared magistrates whom the votes of the assembly have appointed, and particularly the inspectors of public works. Now Demosthenes inspected the repair of our walls, the most important of public works. Those who have been entrusted with any public money for more than thirty days, those who are entitled to preside in a tribunal. But the inspectors of works are entitled to this privilege. What then does the law direct? That all such should assume not their commission, but their magistracy, having first been judicially approved? For even the magistrates appointed by lot are not exempted from this previous inquiry, but must be first approved before they assume their office. These are also directed by the law to submit the accounts of their administration to the legal officers, as well as every other magistrate. And for the truth of what I now advance, to the laws themselves do I appeal. Here, then, you find that what these men call commissions or agencies are declared to be magistracies. It is your part to bear this in memory, to oppose the law to their presumption to convince them that you are not to be influenced by the wretched sophistical artifice that would defeat the force of laws by words, and that the greater their address in defending their illegal proceedings, the more severely must they feel your resentment, for the public speaker should ever use the same language with the law. Should he at any time speak in one language, and the law pronounce another, to the just authority of law should you grant your voices, not to the shameless presumption of the speaker. To that argument on which Demosthenes relies as utterly unanswerable, I would now briefly speak. This man will say, I am director of the fortifications, I confess it, but I have expended of my own money for the public service an additional sum of one hundred mina, and enlarged the work beyond any instructions. For what, then, am I to account? unless a man is to be made accountable for his own beneficence. To this evasion you shall hear a just and good reply. In this city, of so ancient an establishment, and a circuit so extensive, there is not a man exempted from account who has the smallest part in the affairs of state. This I shall show, first in instances scarcely creditable. Thus the priests and the priestesses are by the laws obliged to account for the discharge of their office, all in general, and each in particular, although they have received no more than an honorary pension, and have had no other duty but of offering up their prayers for us to the gods. And this is not the case of single persons only, but of whole tribes as the Eumolpidae, the Ceresis, and all the others. Again, the triarchs are by the law made accountable for their conduct, although no public money has been committed to their charge, although they have not embezzled large portions of their revenue, and accounted but for a small part, although they have not affected to confer bounties on you, while they really but restored your own property. No, they confessedly expended their paternal fortunes to approve their zealous affection for your service, and not our triarchs alone, but the greatest assemblies in the state, are bound to submit to the sentence of our tribunals, 
First, the law directs that the council of the Areopagus shall stand accountable to the proper officers and submit their august transactions to a legal examination. Thus, our greatest judicial body stands in perpetual dependence on your decisions. Shall the members of this council, then, be precluded from the honor of a crown? Such has been the ordinance from times the most remote. And have they no regard to public honor? So scrupulous is their regard that it is not deemed sufficient that their conduct should not be notoriously criminal. Their least irregularity is severely punished, a discipline too rigorous for our delicate orators. Again, our lawgiver directs that the Senate of five hundred shall be bound to account for their conduct. And so great diffidence does he express of those who have not yet rendered such account that in the very beginning of the law it is ordained that no magistrate who has not yet passed through the ordinary examination shall be permitted to go abroad. But here a man may exclaim, What, in the name of heaven, am I, because I have been in office, to be confined to the city? Yes, and with good reason, lest, when you have secreted the public money and betrayed your trust, you might enjoy your perfidy by flight. Again, the laws forbid the man who has not yet accounted to the state to dedicate any part of his effects to religious purposes, to deposit any offering in a temple, to accept of an adoption into any family, to make any alienation of his property, and to many other instances is the prohibition extended. In one word, our lawgiver has provided that the fortunes of such persons shall be secured as a pledge to the community until their accounts are fairly examined and approved. Nay, further, suppose there be a man who has neither received nor expended any part of the public money, but has only been concerned in some affairs relative to the state, even such a one is bound to submit his accounts to the proper officers. But how can the man who has neither received nor expended pass such accounts? The law has obviated this difficulty and expressly prescribed the form of his accounts. It directs that it shall consist of this declaration. I have not received, neither have I disposed of any public money. To confirm the truth of this, hear the laws themselves. When Demosthenes, therefore, shall exult in his evasion, and insist that he is not to be accountable for the additional sum which he bestowed freely on the state, press him with this reply. It was then your duty, Demosthenes, to have permitted the usual and legal proclamation to be made. Who is disposed to prosecute, and to have given any opportunity to every citizen that pleased, to have urged on his part that you bestowed no such additional sum, but that, on the contrary, having been entrusted with ten talents for the repair of our fortifications, you really expended but a small part of this great sum? Do not assume an honor to which you have no pretensions. Do not wrest their suffrages from your judges. Do not act in presumptuous contempt of the laws, but with due submission yield to their guidance. Such is the conduct that must secure the freedom of our Constitution. As to the evasions on which these men rely, I trust that I have spoken sufficiently that Demosthenes really stood accountable to the state at the time when this man proposed his decree, that he was really a magistrate, as manager of the theatrical funds, a magistrate as inspector of the fortifications, 
that his conduct in either of these offices had not been examined, had not obtained the legal approbation, I shall now endeavor to demonstrate from the public records. Read in whose archonship, in what month, on what day, in what assembly, Demosthenes was chosen into the office of manager of the theatrical funds. So shall it appear that during the execution of this office the decree was made which conferred this crown on him. If, then, I should here rest my cause without proceeding further, Stesiphon must stand convicted, convicted not by the arguments of his accuser, but by the public records. In former times, Athenians, it was the custom that the state should elect a comptroller, who in every presidency of each tribe was to return to the people an exact state of the finances. But by the implicit confidence which you reposed in Eubulus, the men who were chosen to the management of the theatrical money executed this office of comptroller, I mean before the law of Hegemon was enacted, together with the offices of receiver and of inspector of our naval affairs. They were charged with the building of our arsenals, with the repair of our roads. In a word, they were entrusted with the conduct of almost all our public business. I say not this to impeach their conduct or to arraign their integrity. I mean but to convince you that our laws have been expressly directed that no man yet accountable for his conduct in any one office, even of the smallest consequence, shall be entitled to the honor of a crown until his accounts have been regularly examined and approved, and that Stesiphon has yet presumed to confer this honor on Demosthenes when engaged in every kind of public magistracy. At the time of this decree, he was a magistrate as inspector of the fortifications, a magistrate as entrusted with public money, and like other officers of the state, imposed fines and presided in tribunals. These things I shall prove by the testimony of Demosthenes and Stesiphon themselves. For in the archonship of Carondus, on the twenty-second of the month Targelion, was a popular assembly held in which Demosthenes obtained a decree appointing a convention of the tribes on the second of the succeeding month. And on the third his decree directed, still further, that supervisors should be chosen and treasurers from each tribe for conducting the repairs of our fortifications. And justly did he thus direct that the public might have the security of good and responsible citizens who might return a fair account of all disbursements, Read these decrees. Yes, but you will hear it argued in answer, that to this office of inspector of the works he was not appointed in the general assembly either by lot or suffrage. This is an argument on which Demosthenes and Stesiphon will dwell with the utmost confidence. My answer shall be easy, plain, and brief, but first I would premise a few things on this subject. Observe, Athenians, of magistracy there are three kinds. First, those appointed by lot or by election. Secondly, the men who have managed public money for more than thirty days, or have inspected public works. To these the law adds another species, and expressly declares that all such persons, as in consequence of a regular appointment, have enjoyed the right of jurisdiction, shall when approved be accounted magistrates, so that, should we take away the magistrates appointed by lot or suffrage, there yet remains the last kind of those appointed by the tribes, or the thirds of tribes, 
or by particular districts, to manage public money, all which are declared to be magistrates from the time of their appointment. And this happens in cases like that before us, where it is a direction to the tribes to make canals or to build ships of war. For the truth of this I appeal to the laws themselves. Let it be remembered that, as I have already observed, the sentence of the law is this, that all those appointed to any office by their tribes shall act as magistrates when first judicially approved. But the Pandionian tribe has made Demosthenes a magistrate by appointing him an inspector of the works, and for this purpose he has been entrusted with public money to the amount of near ten talents. Again, Another law expressly forbids any magistrate who yet stands accountable for his conduct to be honored with a crown. You have sworn to give sentence according to the laws. Here is a speaker who has brought in a decree for granting a crown to a man yet accountable for his conduct. Nor has he added that saving clause when his accounts have first been passed. I have proved the point of illegality from the testimony of your laws from the testimony of your decrees, and from that of the opposite parties. How then can any man support a prosecution of this nature with greater force and clearness? But further, I shall now demonstrate that this decree is also a violation of the law by the manner in which it directs that this crown shall be proclaimed. The laws declare, in terms the most explicit, that if any man receives a crown from the Senate, the proclamation shall be made in the Senate House, if by the people, in the Assembly, never in any other place. And this institution is just and excellent. The author of this law seems to have been persuaded that a public speaker should not ostentatiously display his merits before foreigners, that he should be contented with the approbation of this city, of these his fellow citizens, without practicing vile arts to procure a public honor. So thought our lawgiver. Since, then, it is provided that those crowned by the Senate shall be proclaimed in the Senate House, those by the people in the Assembly, since it is expressly forbidden that men crowned by their districts or by their tribes shall have proclamation made in the theater, that no man may indulge an idle vanity by public honors thus clandestinely procured, since the law directs still further that no proclamation shall be made by any others, but by the Senate, by the people, by the tribes, or by the districts, respectively. If we deduct all these cases, what will remain but crowns conferred by foreigners? That I speak with truth the law itself affords a powerful argument. It directs that the golden crown conferred by proclamation in the theater shall be taken from the person thus honored and consecrated to Minerva, but who shall presume to impute so illiberal a procedure to the community of Athens? Can the state, or can a private person, be suspected of a spirit so sordid that when they themselves have granted a crown, when it has been just proclaimed, they should take it back again and dedicate it? No, I apprehend that such dedication is made because the crown is conferred by foreigners, that no man, by valuing the affection of strangers at a higher rate than that of his country, may suffer corruption to steal into his heart. But when a crown has been proclaimed in the assembly, is the person honored bound to dedicate it? No, he is allowed to possess it, 
that not he alone but his posterity may retain such a memorial in their family, and never suffer their affections to be alienated from their country. To enter into a minute examination of the life of Demosthenes, I fear might lead me into a detail too tedious. And why should I insist on such points as the circumstances of the indictment for his wound, brought before the Areopagus against Demomeles, his kinsman, and the gashes he inflicted on his own head? Or why should I speak of the expedition under Cephisodotus, and the sailing of our fleet to the Hellespoint, when Demosthenes acted as a triarch, entertained the admiral on board his ship, made him partaker of his table, of his sacrifices and religious rites, confessed his just right to all those instances of affection as an hereditary friend, and yet, when an impeachment had been brought against him which affected his life, appeared as his accuser? Why, again, should I take notice of his affair with Midias, of the blows which he received in his office of director of the entertainments, or how, for the sum of thirty mina, he compounded this insult, as well as the sentence which the people pronounced against Midias in the theatre? These and the like particulars I determined to pass over, not that I would betray the cause of justice, not that I would recommend myself to favor by an affected tenderness, but lest it should be objected that I produce facts true, indeed, but long since acknowledged and notorious. Say then, Stesiphon, when the most heinous instances of this man's baseness are so incontestably evident that his accuser exposes himself to the censure, not of advancing falsehoods, but of recurring to facts so long acknowledged and notorious, is he to be publicly honored, or to be branded with infamy? And shall you, who have presumed to form decrees equally contrary to truth and to the laws, insolently bid defiance to the tribunal, or feel the weight of public justice? End of chapter 24